Hey everybody and welcome back to the Kids Inc. Podcast. This is episode three, part two, and I'm your host, Susan Yeager. We are continuing a very special conversation with our guest, writer, producer, director, Tom Lynch. Let's jump right back in. In general, what did your role as producer entail? Like, I know there's probably way too much to mention, but what were you responsible for? (laughs) It evolved. It evolved. Because as I first started, I was... So the show aired in 84, which means I was working on it in 83. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure I was working on it. My first role was... The show, in, in those days, the networks had what they called owned and operated. It's the most important stations in the uh, New York, LA, Chicago. I think Philadelphia might have been one. And uh, I don't know, Boston or something. But the five biggest stations that gave you basically 60% or 30% or high number of the country. And if you got those stations in, then the rest of the smaller stations would fall in. Mm-hmm. And so... I remember we had New York and Chicago, I think, or New York and Philadelphia. And I had taken it to every station in Los Angeles. Like you didn't sell to a streamer. You had to get stations. I have this, this three quarter inch cassette under my arm. <laughs> I'm like sitting there and I mean, the gentleman's name was David Simon was the station manager and he's remained a good dear friend of mine. And I said, we talked about the show and he said, interesting. We don't know. And we went back and forth and he said, okay, we'll take it. And that made the show go. So my first role was to construct something that I could sell. Mm-hmm. There was also a gentleman named Russ Kagan who was guiding me through this whole thing. It was one of the, he's passed, but he's one of the legendary television salesmen of all time. And he mentored me through this process. And I really, I, I was very fortunate in my life that creatively and business-wise, I was mentored by really dynamic, interesting people that knew what they were talking about. So anyways, um, so the first part of my producing job was to create something, to create a show that I could live with. That was putting the story to it. The mm-hmm. second part of it was getting it sold because if it isn't made, it doesn't mean anything. Right. The third part became a budget issue where, you know, no matter what show you sell, people go, oh, that's an expensive show. Or they say, and I heard this the other day, literally from a, a project we're doing with Netflix to, um, the same thing I heard 35 years ago. It's a difficult market out there. It's always a <laughs> yeah. difficult market. It's never easy. Been that and way so, for 50 years. Right. So we had to figure out, and I did this along with um, a gentleman named Jimmy Como, who was the mm-hmm. art director and production designer and became a producer on the show, helped me figure this out, where how do we do this show? Where I think we had $100,000 an episode or something to oh do it. Goodness. How do we do this show? And my vision was, you know, five music videos and five, it cost millions of dollars. Well, I wasn't getting that. (laughs) Yeah. So we figured out, and it was his stage design had as much to do with us executing this well as anything, where he he had this really genius idea of building the place, the street, the swing area, where it all worked as almost a Broadway musical. Like if anything, a Broadway musical influenced the show. Me for story was 42nd Street. And for Jimmy, this great set design kind of imagery came that brought everything up. And uh, Jimmy was truly a real production designer. He got involved in costumes. He got involved in everything. And it was a great asset. But uh, so then I had to figure out how to do the show. Cast it up. 
add the dancers to it in a way where mm. these dancers became players into it. Right. Then when we got to um, shooting the show, it was managing the scripts and the performances to make sure, you know, hiring directors, writers and doing all that, which was probably the area that I had the most experience in, mm. except for scripted, because right. I hadn't done, I probably worked on set on some, uh, like as a production assistant on some scripted stuff, but I really didn't know anything about it. And I didn't really want to be told what to do with it. I wanted to really model it after a Broadway musical. And so that's what Mark Ray, John Bonnie were the two original writers on it. And they somehow discerned what I wanted and made it better because wow. I, I didn't even know the language of it. It's just like, no, 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 it's gotta be funny. There's gonna be a song, they're gonna fall in love. There's gonna be a dog and I want an elephant to come through. That's what yeah. I'm doing here. It was like, make it happen. It. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Make it and, happen. Uh, yeah, and so then, but then when you're the producer of the show, um, all problems hit your desk. Right. If, or as, I, as Obama said at his job, only the big problems hit his desk. When you're a producer, only the big problems hit your desk. A cast right. member is unhappy, a divorce is happening, which the kid is not acting, is you know having difficulty with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or in our case with KTEL, where I'm driving to work one day and on my desk in those days, they'd have Variety and the Hollywood Reporter, the two trade mm -hmm. papers for television would be on my desk every morning. I'd have my coffee and I'd look at those and then I'd go to work, right? So I get into, we're KTLA and I get into the office at about, I usually got in there about eight or 8.30. I always got up early and would go. And uh, the headline was KTEL declares bankruptcy. Now uh -oh. they're paying 25% of the show. So I call up MGM. I go, hey, this this thing they go we've seen that and they speak as all it gives me great trust for executive great mistrust for executives <laughs> not a problem mgm stands behind the show i'm like great so i keep going three weeks later the production accountant comes in and says hey we need 75 more thousand dollars i said well mgm will send it no they're not sending it i call up mgm hey guys you owe us the money to cover ktel yeah. Go, yes, we'll stand behind the show, but only our part of it. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, if you read your contract, you're responsible for the overages. We call this an overage. I'm like, <laughs> now, an overage. Now, I don't think I've ever been paid $25,000 at this point. I'm sure as heck not. So I'm like, uh oh. So yeah. there was a whole redesign of the series on how we could do it for that. Budget. What season was that? Season one. One. Season one. Oh season my God. One. And yeah. that was, and then, then, and then season two became, we brought in a gentleman named Earl Glick, season two or three, a gentleman named Earl Glick at Hal Roach Studios. He came in and, and helped finance the show. And he was a real gentleman about it all. Then his studio <laughs> around season four or five, he was bought by the Halmy company. They came in oh and gosh. bought the show. And mm -hmm. like, and the one thing that, that I learned from my music days is there's a thing where you can put in that if you're producing a record or something, you can always cure. If you go over budget, you can cure and they can't fire you. You make up the difference. And every one of these people, not Earl, but when Halmy came in, they sent a guy out to, and they were doing, oh my God, they were doing uh, that great mini, Lonesome Dove, which was one of the first great oh, miniseries. So they sent, out their, they sent out their head of production. He meets me. This guy's in cowboy boots and a hat. And he looks around. He's kind of scoffing at it because it's kid stuff. And he goes, you know, we may just, you may not stay here. We may replace you or think. And I go, yeah. 
you ain't replacing me. I'm locked to the series. Mm. And it was, it was interesting. There was a moment there and I, that's why with all my shows now, they got to deal with me. I got to be locked to the series or I'm not doing it. That's amazing. Yeah. So producer, my main job as a producer, the main job as a producer is to, is to manage um, Brian Grazier told us, I asked him the question once. He, Brian's a great Oscar winning producer in television, mm-hmm. a huge company. And I said, Brian, what does a producer do in your mind? Because he's someone I admire and respect and all that. He said, manages the creative and the financial to get to popular success. And I thought, really good answer. Yeah. Me as a producer, since I write, was more about creatively make sure it doesn't look like anything else or sound like anything else and make it good. That was kind of my role. But selling it and all that other stuff and protecting it becomes a long way and dealing with, I would only deal with the kids. I would deal Mm -hmm. with the parents where they all had, and to this day I do it when I work with young artists. The parents, I go, here's my cell number. If there is a problem, you can call me. If it's a problem with the schedule, with the clothes, whatever, you call those department heads. But if it's a right. problem with the kid, you, you can always call me. And that's yeah. kind of what I learned from there and I'll continue to do. That's amazing. One of, I think, from the outside with the fans looking in, right. there never seemed to be rhyme or reason to when people left the show and when new people came on. And I imagine that that's probably one of the hardest parts as a producer because you get attached to the, the talent. Uh, and yeah. So what so. was, was there a rhyme or reason to when everybody left or? There was, there was a real specific thing. I was enamored by the, by the group Menudo, which yeah. was a group that came out of South America. I think Ricky Martin was in one version yes. of it. I yeah. think, I think um, Mark, um, J-Lo's ex-husband. Mark Anthony? It, who? Yeah. Mark Anthony? Yeah, Mark Anthony. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He was in it. I think it has this history and I had this idea that to keep the show moving, every year we would change out the oldest person and the younger person would come in. And I think we adhered to that year one where Jerry Shirell left. Mm-hmm. And it was not fair to Jerry. It was not fair to Jerry. He had the talent, he had the position on it. And it wasn't, that was not a good move on my part. But but who did we bring in after that? Did Jennifer Love Ryan. Ryan, 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 yeah. Ryan Lambert came in. Ryan, who was, the show did need to have kind of the bad boy. He was whatever. He was our version of the bad mm-hmm. boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he liked to rock it. So he was cool. But we tried to do that every year is to move a person out because I wanted the show to run forever. I saw yeah. the show running for 50 years, if you kept yeah. it contemporary and all that. And I'm sure there's times where we didn't hit that mark. Or there was also times where they would only pick up 10 episodes, a half a season. Mm-hmm. And then we would do another season behind it. And there was, it was always, Kids Incorporated always felt like it was going to get canceled every day we went to yeah, work. Right. For, for 10 years, whatever we yeah. had, it felt like I was getting canceled every day. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was, that was it. <laughs> when did you realize what actual impact with the fans and everything that the show was having? Okay, this is going to sound false or studied or something but it was when i got a letter a fan letter from a young lady in the south <laughs> the uh the, this is premeditated a, no i'm just kidding no it's not it's not i, I told you i didn't look at the questions no it was yeah. i remember going my god somebody wants to come out here and actually see this done mm-hmm. it was crazy and you, then that young lady is our host, Susan Yeager. She <laughs> sent me a note. Were you living in Nashville at the time? 
No, I, I did a stint in Nashville, but I've always been in West Virginia. West yeah. Virginia, that was it. And mm -hmm. I had been to Wheeling, West Virginia, doing a big country music festival. Thing, so, yeah, but, yeah. So I remember Wheeling, what, Wheeling, West Virginia was literally the far end of the earth. I was, when I was working for yeah. Kirshner, we did yeah. the country jamboree out there. Mm -hmm. And when I got that letter, I'm like, oh my God, people are actually <laughs> seeing this. Yeah. And you wanted to come out. I think that was the time the other time was we did a performance at Hollywood Park at the racetrack in LA where they wanted Hollywood Park called up and said, uh, I was managing the group at that time, managing Kids Inc. Not that I'm a music manager, but more that I wanted to protect the albums. I wanted, I didn't okay. want people messing with them. They were young kids and I didn't want, you know, I, I just didn't want it messed with. Um, and so we were invited Hollywood Park wanted something for family. And we got a call where you do, in the round in the theater in the Hollywood Park, there's a center field. I said, "Yeah, they'll perform," and kids were screaming for them. That was mm -hmm. that hit me on it. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, we they performed a few places. The album sold well. There was a lot of markers, but mm -hmm. I never went, "Oh my God," because you're always afraid of getting canceled. I lived right. with that of getting canceled because there were always right. funky deals, like today. If I sell a show to Netflix or to Disney Plus or to Dis or to HBO Max or to Nickelodeon or to whatever, it's laid out. You can get canceled, but you kind of know what's going to happen. Right. I had been through bankruptcy in the fourth episode. One of our partners went bankrupt and nobody seemed to care about it. You right. Know? right. Uh, we had um, we the second season and the second season, it came out of syndication and Disney bought it. You know, they came up and that was, oh my God, Susan. That was crazy. <laughs> well, that was one of my questions, actually. Someone actually asked that, I think, on a YouTube comment. How, what were the pros and cons? What got tossed around with that? And what ultimately led you to say, okay, like, let's do Disney? Well, I don't think I had the right to say no. Like, they couldn't fire me, but I didn't have ultimate decision. It was an MGM decision, the studio. So I, um, I get a call from my executive at MGM. And he says, look. He goes, uh, the Disney Channel is starting, is a thing. I didn't even know it existed. I'd heard it, but I didn't know what it was. Right. Uh, I think they were running Garrison Keillor's show, uh, Lake Wobegon and stuff like that at the time. And they said, they want to go with Kids Inc. They want to make an offer on Kids Inc., but they want to meet. Okay. So I go over and meet them. And, uh, you know, that's what you do in Hollywood. You meet with people. You just right. meet. And you Zoom look. is the greatest thing in the world because I don't have to drive an hour to go meet with somebody now. <laughs> I can just hop on this thing. Yeah. Um, so I, um, no, MGM sold it. I had to do some budget stuff and maybe talk to some produce, some of their production people, how it's going to be done. And then there was the meeting of creatively where it's going to go. Like, okay, Tommy, go. I went there, my partner, Gary Biller, who was running, my, running the company, and we were partners in the company that, you know, the, the Lynch Biller, I think it was called at the time. We go over to Disney over in Burbank. We walk and we're feeling pretty good. Hey, Disney, it doesn't get bigger than that. This is cool. Right. <laughs> and we walk into the room and there's literally 15 people around the table. Okay, what are you going to do? And I start, they go, well, here's what the show is. And none of them smile. None of them are happy. There's no joy. They're all looking at me. I get the sense they're they're just wondering. They're looking for a reason not to do the show is what right, I sense. Right. Trying to say no. Or they want to say no. Or they want to do something. They, they want, they're going to say something that's going to scare the hell out of me and I'm not going to want to do. Right. <laughs> and 
one guy, this gentleman, Patrick Davidson, who was my executive, became my executive at Disney, said, well, where are you at with the series now? I go, I'll tell you all 20 episodes. And I start pitching out 20 episodes, absolutely making it up. I have no idea what we're doing. There's I, one I'm where just Gloria like, goes on a trip. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just going, and he goes, well, wait a minute. I go, well, oh no, this is why they were good. Part of it was they'll approve the scripts as we do them. I said, okay, here's the first 20. And I just started telling the stories because I wanted to get, the show had to get writing. I had to get them to start spending money or it could fall apart. People move slow. And this is only my perception, which may not be accurate. I'm only giving you my perception. Who knows what they were thinking? So uh, we got through that hurdle and we started making it for Disney. And then I had, that's where I felt experienced um, a heavy hand on the creative side. They definitely had their opinion of what Disney was, which you would expect. They definitely had their opinion. And I had my opinion of, I'm going to make the show I want to make. And I think that probably has defined my attitude a lot. I, I've certainly gotten more thoughtful about other people's opinion as I matured. But back then, I, I was so argumentative because I was afraid. When I heard someone say, maybe you ought to try this, I thought they were telling me I was stupid because I was just inexperienced. And now I think I'm more civil. Um, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that started the journey with Disney, which was yeah. uh, successful. The beginning of cable television again i yeah. found myself in uh you know syndication was kind of being taken over by cable and i found myself in a you know at a ground zero level watching it started to understand the power of disney the power of that i you know had i had not worked for a company like that before so it was fine it was all good it was all good i remember one of my jobs when i worked for you was to uh watch the fax machine for when the notes would come in and what lines they wanted to change in the songs like lawyers say they can't say this and lawyers say they can't say that and that that was so right. fun for me to be like also you know it was a very behind the scenes look at yes how yes, it, it comes together because what you were allowed to say and what yeah oh my god they want they want you to re-edit songs done by saying staying i'm like wait a minute sting is like a, a, a great gift of writing. Right. I'm not going to change his lyrics. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, I think that the only battles I didn't win were uh, were the standards in practice. That was like untouchable. If they said, you're not saying this, you're not saying that. And that I right. kind of accepted as that's just what it is. And so let's work, let's work as best we can with it. Look, right. Nowadays, creators have much more freedom because there is no bandwidth. There's no Back in those days, you could lose your TV licenses, you could be advertisers would have uproar. And even though they were a cable channel, they're still the Disney empire. So they had a lot to protect. And, you know, <clears throat> you couldn't have somebody, you just didn't want to start that fight and they weren't going to let you have that fight. So do you remember just speaking solely to seasons one through three? Yeah. It's it's thirty some years later. Do any episodes still stand out to you from one two three? Do. Yeah, <laughs> of course they do. What are you kidding me? Yeah, I actually did a thing where my only homework I did on this. I'm going to bring it up is where I um I brought up a list of the shows, right? To, to right. kind of look at. God and bless I Wikipedia. Think, yes, they. I thank God for that. They know more about what I've done than I do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And as I look through it all. Um, you know, I, I kind of, we did some stuff they should have fired me for, <laughs> I mean, just like really bad, really bad stuff. 
But oh. I think the the ones that I loved the most were the ones that were that were kind of grounded in reality and then had a uh, a place in the world. Um, the I'm trying to look at the first season if anything stood out to me. The painter was an interesting one because I think that was the uh, that was the one the second episode and I believe that had to do with graffiti yes. of some kind. Mm-hmm. And I remember someone telling me, um, they go, well, Tommy, you can't do graffiti. So it's criminal. It's this. And I'm like, well, it's really art. And that's what we're doing in the show. And they said, well, you can just do a little in this corner. I'm like, okay. And they came back two days later and the entire set was covered in graffiti. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I like that more from a a battle point of view than anything. Um, the, the thing that the, the bully was always interesting to me. Uh, when the kid Rasan had to face this, this, he faced his fears. And I liked mm-hmm. that show a lot. Uh, the ghost of the place was great because oh, was it kind of gave us a little bit of the society of it, of the back, like Elvis played there and all these other people played there. Right. Um, let me see which one. There was one, my favorite show of all time was the magic toy shop. Oh, yes. I think that is my favorite show for so many reasons. I think I wrote and directed that one. Mm -hmm. I was just starting to direct a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then I think I also, um, my kids were in that. I put the kids into it all, uh, all of my children in it. And that was really fun. Um, Stace Arella, when we did the Cinderella Mm -hmm. story, was Stacy. I still can see the shot. Gary Halverson was the director, and I could still see the shot where she goes for the slipper. She's in this beautiful classical dress and she goes for the slipper and he lit it where the lit light just hit it perfectly. I mean, it's still one of my favorite things of all time that I've done. So I, um, uh, Aladdin's lamp was fun to me too. <laughs> I like that one. They, they were all, you know, I, I, they all were, um, there was just this weird joy of it all going on because we were, shooting like we'd shoot the concert three concert shows a day we'd shoot three dance numbers a day we'd show three book shows on three other days and it was so insane to do but nobody stopped us from doing it and the artists all you know that we got all that music to cover to do i mean come on we had you know we just had people that we had police songs we had uh we had I think we had a Bruce Springsteen song. Thunder yeah, Road. Glory Days and Dancing yeah. in the Dark. And yeah. <laughs> we, like, how did we get that today? Yeah. I don't think we could get that <laughs> yeah. stuff. And I know we didn't pay any money. Um, I think uh, Stacy was always, I had never seen such talent in yeah. such a small person. And seeing that so early in my career, right? I expected everybody could do that. It's like, right. they, they, can't, they, can't, <laughs> no, they can't do that. No. <laughs> she was great. Uh, no. Believe it or not, we still have even more discussion with Tom Lynch to share with you, but you're going to have to wait for episode four for that. In the meantime, thanks for listening. I'm Susan Yeager, your host of the Kids Inc. podcast. Be good to others, be good to yourself, and may the joy, excitement, hope, and the magic that was Kids Incorporated Find a way into your life every day. See you next time. Don't forget to visit us on social media. 
facebook.com forward slash Kids Inc. Podcast, twitter.com forward slash Kids Inc. Podcast, and instagram.com forward slash Kids Inc. Podcast. If you have any questions for Tom Lynch or any of the cast that we might be talking with sometime soon, email us at kidsincpodcast at gmail.com. Get something that